0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. So the topic for tonight is training the mind. Training the mind that is so central for us in this practice. And I want to start by telling you a story that for it from Jack Cornfield. This is of a man, this is actually a real story, who um, was very much intrigued by the practice and decided that he really wanted to devote uh, seriously, he wanted to really practice for long periods of time. So he said, well, I'm just going to save money, eventually buy a little plot of land, build a little cabin, and then quit my job, go there, and meditate. So I think we all have that kind of fantasy, right? I'm going to leave the world and go off, and everything is going to be fine. So he actually did go through. He, he, he saved his money. He bought the land. He built his cabin. And lo and behold, the day came when he was able to announce at work it was, this, it was going to quit <coughs> And he made it to his cabin. And he thought, oh, great, you know, this is wonderful. Now, now I really get to practice. Well, after a few days, he realized that there was a river nearby and that really the noise of the river, the sound of the water in the river, was not right for his concentration. So he wasn't pleased about that, but he kind of... uh, decided he was going to power through. Well, after a few days, this got worse until he got so frustrated that he decided that the next day he was going to go to the river and move how many rocks he needed to move to lessen the sound of the river. He actually did spend a whole day moving rocks. I don't know what happened to the end of the story. Jack doesn't tell the end, but... (laughs) It's enough for us to, to tell, you know, what a ridiculous uh, story. We can see, you know, how when we become so reactive, we will go to the extent of doing pretty ridiculous things. And of course, we always start fixing the outside. Out there is the problem, right? So really, there is the inside noise, and there is the outside noise. And what this man had not understood is that he needed to train his mind to learn to be with the inside noise and not be bent out of shape about it. Some of you might think that the sound of the river is wonderful, For him, obviously, it was annoyance. So these suttas or discourses often speak about seclusion, viveka. And it's interesting in that when we talk about seclusion, it's often spoken in two kinds of seclusion. We have the physical seclusion, which is what this man did. You go off, you leave the noisy world, and you go off to nature. That's the physical seclusion. But then there is also the mental seclusion. And that's very, very important for us to be able to practice because we can be in the most perfect place, but if the mental seclusion hasn't been established, we will be miserable no matter how perfect the place is. So, what What does it entail, this mental seclusion? It entails abandoning the unwholesome mind states, that agitation, that worry, the mind constantly churning react, reactive thoughts about whatever is going on. So, when we manage this union of physical and mental seclusion and the mind is still is secluded the idea is secluded from the unwholesome states from all the sensual desires wanting not wanting boredom all those mind states that uh, make us suffer So, of course, there's also this mistaken view that we have to wait to practice until we have just the right condition. You know, that that was part of the problem for this man. Just the right condition uh, in the outside logistical aspect of our lives. You know, that... that, um, we don't need to work anymore, that the kids are grown up, that we have enough money in the bank, etc., etc. Now, of course, those things can support our practice tremendously. But what's essential is that that we start right away training the mind in whatever situation we have, with our very demanding job, with our very noisy kids, with our rocky uh, finance at home, with strained relationships, with so-so health, that's when we—that's when we practice. That's when we begin or continue training the mind. <clears throat> so, how do we train the mind? Really. All of the discourses, which I would say, are, in, or all of the practice is about learning how to train the mind from different perspectives, different modes. But the base, the base from which we cannot escape, and sometimes that gets forgotten when we speak about mind, secular mindfulness, totally devoid of, of the Dharma, is the ethics part. So, remembering, right, that if we want to have well-being, ease, and peace in the mind, there has to be ethics. We have to live an ethical life. That's the sine qua non. We start with that. Ethics. Then, of course, comes the next tier, and that would be the, the practice part. We need to make right effort. We need to really learn how to establish mindfulness and how to practice so that we create the right conditions for concentration to arise. So those three are really important, you know, the right effort, the mindfulness, and the concentration. And then another part, and that has, so I I will be focusing mainly on the mindfulness today and also the third part, which is the, which is the wisdom. So I said the ethics and then the, the practice part and then the wisdom. And the wisdom um, is to really internalize some of these teachings that uh, are, part, are central to, to the Dharma. That we internalize them not in an intellectual way because these teachings... You know, we can understand them in an intellectual way, but eventually we really have to get to the point where we internalize them in a direct way, so that they become part of who we are. And so for example, part of this wisdom, uh, mind training, is basic basic for our Dharma, is the three universal characteristics this This man obviously had not internalized this this teaching, and so if we remind ourselves what are the three universal characteristics you know, the first one is impermanence. for example, this man could have could have noticed what was his relation to the sound was it always the same or did it change and how about the sound itself was it always the same or did it change so you might say so so what? what 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 would have done what would have done if he had done that if he really slowed down the mind enough to pay attention that the sound of the river was not the same all the time his mind would have settled and when the mind settles, it's not reactive anymore. And then we have well-being. Then we have this sense of ease. Now, the second um, universal characteristic is the dukkha, you know, the, the, the suffering. How valuable it would have been for this man to realize, I am suffering. I am suffering unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. The river is just doing its thing. Why am I suffering? So part of the the second characteristic is that it says everything is changing constantly, you can't control it. So basically, internalize that, understand that deeply. And when we really do, there's a sense of relief, of relaxation in the mind. And then the third one, the, the anatta, or not-self, or impersonal aspect of everything. The fact that this man was getting so annoyed, there was a part in him that, conscious or unconsciously, there was this sense of, this noise is bothering my meditation, my concentration, It's not so. Like I said before, I mean, the water is just flowing over stones and makes some sound. So, the the noticing the impersonal aspect of phenomena is like being able to take off an unnecessary burden off of our shoulders. So I mentioned a a little earlier that, like this teaching of the three characteristics, it's not something that really is going to make a difference if we hear it and understand it rationally. But when it really begins to make a difference is when we touch upon these truths when we're practicing Deeply, especially on retreat, when we've gotten to, to have a mind that's quiet enough that I can really see how everything in my experience is arising and passing away, arising and passing away. So, why, why hang on to something when it's coming and going, coming and going? So, this is, this is something that needs to be experienced directly. Now there is another way of training this mind, and this one is much more, um, very, very much in the moment, in paying attention, and that is the awareness of what happens in each of the six sense doors. This training is so important We are training the mind to be mindful at each of the senses. When we say sense doors, I'm speaking of the sense door of the eyes and the sense object, the vision, the sense door of the nose and the sense object, the smells. Same thing with the tongue, same thing with the ears. The body is the the touching aspect and the sixth sense is going to be the mind. So, in the Dharma, we take the mind as the sixth sense. And that in itself, for anybody who's new, it's kind of interesting to ask ourselves, why does the Buddha group the mind with the five physical senses? Why? He's very pragmatic. The Buddha was very pragmatic all of his lists have a lot of logic and, uh, and this, the idea is how is this list going to help you to suffer less? So I would love to hear if anybody would, would, would venture into saying why do you think the, the Buddha would have grouped the mind and its object, the thoughts, in, together with the five physical senses? Anybody have an idea? Yes. It's input. You get input from your mind just like you do from your senses. And how does it help you to see it that way? Anybody? No? (laughs) I mean, this is already very important the way she put it. Notice how simple she put it. It's input. And that's, that's, that's already a key issue of why this is... Just as we can't tell our nose to stop smelling, we can't, keep, we can't tell our mind to stop thinking. Fantastic. Yes. So, that's... You know, we have minds to think. We have noses to smell. We have eyes to see. We, we have, you know, hands to touch. So, putting it together with the other physical senses demystifies this, this, this role that we give it to thoughts. We really, really uh, believe the thoughts. We, for, for us, the thoughts shape so much of our lives. We believe them. And so putting it at the same level of the other senses is a little bit, you know, what made, what made me think of, remember that scene in The Wizard of Oz, when Toto goes behind the curtain and I guess pushes the curtain and you can see this little tiny man standing on a stool with a microphone, talking, very impressive, like that. Remember that scene? Okay, well, deconstructing our experience, especially with a mind, is exactly like that. You go behind the curtain and you see how everything is constructed, how everything is conditioned, and then you don't believe that you don't buy into that very impressive voice of the of the wizard that's telling you know something really terrifying next time your 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 mind begins to tell you something terrifying try to remember this constructed aspect of thoughts and that the arising of a thought is just the same as the arising of I see something, the sense door or the sense space notices its input, I see it, I see form, I see color. Now, we might notice also, if we just stop and think a little bit, that the mind is so, is also so involved with all the other senses. That's another reason why it's so important to put it as one of the senses because in order to process every input, the mind is, plays a role, right? So three things have to happen in order to, for, for an experience to, to take place. The sense base, let's say, talk about the eye, the sense base, the sense object, and consciousness, That's the triad that has to happen. Then there is the experience. And the consciousness is that which knows the mind. So the mind is involved in every single one of the sense experiences. But at the same time, it has its own sense objects, which is its own activity, you know, the thoughts, the emotions. So... This is just kind of a, a very, it, 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 it's a profound teaching, the, the one, the sense basis, and, and we can just touch on it, but it's a very, very important one. The impersonal part is also an, uh, uh, another aspect to keep in mind why it's Im- it's so valuable to put the, the mind in the same list as the sense object. Because I think that with a little bit of training, we are able to see the impersonal aspect of what we see and how we see. But our thoughts, that's very difficult. That is, that's really Advanced. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a, l- a little bit of how we construct this conditionality with the seeing a little bit later. So what we want to uh, bring to mind, though, with the mind training is if we are able to bring that awareness right at the point of contact of the sense, sense door, or sense base and the sense object, if the awareness is there, then we'll have freedom. Then that's exactly what it was missing for this man, right? For him, there was bondage in the sense object, the ear, this, excuse me, the sense base, the ear, and the sense object, the sound of the river. There was bondage, there was reactivity. But with a little bit of awareness, with a little bit of mindfulness, he could have had freedom in that in that experience. So it's clear. I hope. Yeah. <clears throat> so another aspect that is very important with um, working with the sense with the senses. Is to bring what, what we call, what is the second foundation of mindfulness, and that is of the feeling tone. And that's a very helpful practice, and that is, even if you're totally new, you, you can remember this. So anytime that something arises, a sight, a sound, a smell, a taste, there will be a feeling tone, what we call Vedana, and that is, it'll either be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And, again, now, I put the question again. Why is it helpful to bring into this foundation? This one, I think, even newer ones could answer. Why would it be helpful for you? And give it a try. I mean, it doesn't have to be right. If we try to answer, we'll more likely remember later if... Instead, if I say everything, it's, we become a little passive. So think of yourself. Think of yourself one time when you are challenged and you're having a, re, a reaction, you don't like this. Let's say you're at the airport. You, you see a lot of uh, people who look really bent out of shape at the airport. So what is it? Okay, too noisy. Okay. Then we're dealing again with the ear. Okay. You're hearing this all this loud announcement, you're trying to listen to your music and it's bothering you. So how would it help you to bring in this second foundation of mindfulness and bring in these three labels? Any of the new ones? Any an idea? or any of the middle ones who are (laughs) neither (laughs) new. Nobody wants to try? It doesn't matter. Possibly. Listen to it actively. Really, yes, um, and then, so you listen to it actively. That's already super good because now you are investigating. So that always is very good because the mind, you're giving the mind something to do. It's not getting into trouble. You're, you're saying, okay, pay attention. You know, so you're going towards the wisdom part. And now, now, so you're right on the on right track. So now, how would this lay, this one of these three labels help you. Let's say it's unpleasant. You, after you've investigated, you say, this this cacophony in the airport, to me, is unpleasant. How is it helpful to use that label? You mean the, the label that it's unpleasant? Yes, exactly. Um. I don't know that it that it is helpful. I mean, that's something that you're experiencing. I don't know. I don't know that you would label it that way. Okay. Well, that's a that's a that's a totally valid uh, response. Now, since it's part of the Dharma, we will investigate how it. Why is it that the Buddha said, "Okay"? Ask yourself if it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So we are trying to, he's not here with us. I mean, I wish I could just say, why don't you tell us? Why did you decide that we need to ask ourselves? So I've thought a lot about it, and Mm -hmm. my sense is that when we ask ourselves to pay attention the way Perry said that's already wonderful because you're giving, as I said before, you're giving the mind something to do. Now, you're going to acknowledge what's real for you. What's real for you? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Or is it neutral? Remember, the, the trick about, with mindfulness in this practice is to be real. Part of mindfulness is to be completely real with the, the reality Genuine is the word I was looking for. Genuine. It's unpleasant. Okay, once I've fessed up, I don't like it. Then something in us says, okay, you heard me. Yeah, you don't like it. It's unpleasant. And when we feel like we've been heard, yeah, I didn't like this, or yes, I like it, something in us relaxes and says, okay, you've heard me. I don't need to carry on saying, you know, why don't they, blah, 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 they should, they should know better, blah, 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 this is really terrible for my health, da, da, da. Okay. There is something in us that once we've put this label, we let go of the rest of the drama. So, you, 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 can, is, does it make sense, Terry, now that, that I added this next layer? I have to think about it. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, but, you know, I I, I don't know that I could say it any other way. It's just acknowledging what's real and then carrying on without getting caught. Without getting worked up. Without getting worked up. So... The tendency we have, as we saw with this man, but we all have that tendency, tendency, is that first we want to fix it outside. You know, first the energy goes out and, and wants to do something about it. You know, we'll, we'll criticize our partner if it's do- doing something we don't like or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> then there's also, uh, we want to impede this, this input to our eyes, you know, like the man moving his, his rocks. Now, there are times where I might be in a place like if I'm in a noisy factory and there's some deafening noise and it's harmful for my ears, it wouldn't be wise for me to say unpleasant, unpleasant. No, the wise thing to do is to put noise-canceling headphones It protect my ears, right? So that's, that's one thing. <clears throat> but <clears throat> what the Dharma is referring to is training us how to just be more equanimous with whatever arises in our daily life. That's all. That's really the whole thing where it's going to. How can we stay equanimous? There is one discourse that is called Development of the Sense Faculties. And in this discourse, the Buddha is working exactly with this topic of the senses and the sense doors. So in this discourse, the Buddha is talking to a student, uh, a Brahmin student by the name of Uttara. And he asks him how his master, Parasariya, had taught him to the development of the sense faculties. Yeah, so how does your master teach you how to handle, you know, what comes in through the senses? And this is what Uttara responds. Here, Master Gotama, one does not see forms with the eye. One does not hear sounds with the ear. The Buddha responds, if that is so, Uttara, then a blind man And a deaf man will have developed sense faculties. For a blind man does not see forms with the eye, and a deaf man does not hear sounds with the ear. When this was said, the Brahmin student Uttara sat silent, dismayed, with shoulders drooping and head down, glum and without response. So, why is he sitting so disappointed? Well, he's noticing that this master's teaching is not quite logical, right? And the Buddha has pointed it out. So senses themselves are not evil, are not bad. We don't need to suppress them. We just need to learn how to work with them. So it's about bringing the mindfulness to the sense door and then also using this judicious discernment of what is wholesome that you're going to encourage to continue letting in or what is unwholesome and say, "Mm, that's it, right? You're surfing the web and something really disgusting pops up you have you have to have that judicious discernment that says uh uh-uh, uh i don't this is not this is not wholesome for me and you close it okay so those two things need to need to happen the mindfulness and the judicious discernment at the at the sense door <clears throat> So now that he has pointed out to Uttara that that's not the way, now he's going to point out which way. You need to work with the sense doors. Here, when one sees a form with the eye, there arises in one what is agreeable. There arises what is disagreeable. There arises what is both agreeable and disagreeable. One understands thus. There has arisen in me what is agreeable. There has arisen what is disagreeable. There has arisen what is both agreeable and disagreeable. But that is conditioned, gross, dependently arisen. This is peaceful. This is sublime. That is equanimity. Okay, I'll unpack it a little bit because uh, this has a lot in it. The first part we've already talked about, right? That's the second foundation of mindfulness. They are just using different words. They're using agreeable, disagreeable, or both. So just be aware that it can be either, and you're not going to be reactive with either of them. Then we also need to become very aware that when there is uh, the characteristics of the sense object, are attractive, we attach. When they are repugnant, we are aversive. And when they're neither or both, we are aloof or indifferent, and we kind of shut down. So all those three responses are not very skillful. Questions so far? Is it clear so far? Okay. So now let's unpack a little bit um, this idea of conditioned and gross and dependently arisen. So the part about conditioning, um, we can, for example, take this and say that If you've never been to a meditation center and you are at Macy's and see something like this, you would say, oh, this would make a nice fruit bowl. But if you have been to a meditation place and you see this object, you might recognize it as a bell. So conditioned means it's whatever is in your past that has had an influence that is going to condition how you perceive something. As far as the sense door, we're supposed to see only shape and color. So when we're talking about the the sense door, the eye, we say you see form, but it's also color. When you go on and you say, Bell, we've gone on somewhere else, and that we call perception. So this is another one of those questions like, why is it helpful? It is helpful to unpack the experience that we've gone from just perceiving a form and color to perceiving Bell, and that perception has all to do with your conditioning. And that conditioning is you've been to a meditation center, you know this is used as a bell, you know that if I take a striker and I hit it, it creates a sound like a bell. So you realize how many layers each sense experience has with it and how relative it is because it's going to be different for different people. So it has to do with our age, with our gender, with our culture, with our level of education. All of those things will will impact. So I recently had an experience... I, I, that I want to share with you to, to explain a little bit more <clears throat> about the conditioned, <clears throat> the gross aspect and the p- dependently arisen aspect that um, was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who is visually impaired. And so he was describing to me that, that the way that he sees, quote-unquote, movies is with something called audio description, I never heard of this, but apparently there's such a thing, which is wonderful, so that a blind person can listen to the soundtrack of a movie, and at the same time, there is another layer of sound that describes what's happening visually. So he described to me that he had gone to see the movie, see, quote-unquote, Ray Charles, but it didn't have audio description. So he just sat in the movie theater and heard the soundtrack. And he said it was very disappointing because he, could, he couldn't get a lot of what was going on in the movie. So I said to him, how about if we give it a try? And we get a couple people together and we do the audio description. Nowadays, you can just put on the movie, right? I found the movie and we were three people. And what we did was... Every three to five minutes we would stop the movie and each one of us would describe what we had seen. So this was an eye-opening experience for me as far as the conditioned experience and and this other thing of dependently arisen. So there were times when either myself or the other two people would not see something at all. Or would see something and it would interpret it completely different. Then there was one scene that I want to describe. That that really clicked with me. That is what is meant in the Dharma when we talk about dependently arisen. So there's a scene of Ray Charles when he is about five years old. It's a very tragic scene. And his little brother is about one year old. And... The mother who had been doing wash and had a tub of water on a table steps away and tells the old Ray to take care, pay attention to your little brother. She goes. The little one climbs to the table, makes a dive into the tub and slides in a way so that he drowns. But what was very interesting is that the other two people described the scene and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, something's missing. What's missing? Everybody had described the scene very, very well, but I could feel... So I, I started myself to describe the scene and as I started to describe it, I realized what was missing and what was missing and for somebody who is not able to see it, it was crucial to understand how it happened. We see from below the tub and these two little legs hanging out of the tub. First they're moving like this, they're kicking. And so the older brother doesn't get it. He thinks the little one is playing. And he's laughing. He can't see the face of his little brother. And here the director did something brilliant because the camera was showing us the perspective from below. And then you understand, you're looking through the eyes of the little boy. That's, so now you see, that's a scene that is dependently arisen. If you didn't mention that that was happening, you don't understand that the boy never sees the panic face of his little brother who's drowning so it's a very tragic scene but 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 it's it's a good example to explain what is it that we mean dependently arisen another thing that i uh, found really very interesting about doing this experiment was How many visual layers of meaning do you have in good movies? And how we miss them because we just kind of graze at the top. We consume just the upper layer. That's what the Buddha means when he says gross. That we miss most of the many layers, not only in a movie but also in life. There's so much input going on that we miss that depth it's like a musical score that has all these layers and we only hear one so after this experiment it took us forever we actually had to do it in two days because it, you know it's stopping it every 3 or 5 minutes but after afterwards i thought this is one of the movies that i have experience in the most satisfying way because I actually had had the time to take in so much more to work with the emotions that came up and to share you know it's like the emotions didn't build up we were able to talk about the emotions as they were coming up and so everybody was was satisfied at the end. My friend got to, quote-unquote, see the film, and we really had this sense, very very beautiful sense of connection with each other, of having shared this experience. (coughs) So now you will hear it differently if I read the same part again. One understands thus, this is from the sutta, of course, there has arisen in me what is agreeable. There has arisen what is disagreeable. There has arisen what is both agreeable and disagreeable. But, what, but that is conditioned, grows, dependently arisen. So, if we understand that this... Um, being grabbed by the pleasant, and repelled by the unpleasant, that by doing that we're training the mind, and therefore we are allowing the mind to calm itself down, to to be at ease, to find equanimity. And as we have this countless inputs at the sense doors, that will come and go that are pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, we will remain as it says in the sutta peaceful, so this is sublime, and that is equanimity and just to finish i 'll read another uh, uh, last section of um, not of the sutta it 's not at the end but but a uh, last one that I read. Just as a man with good sight having opened his eyes <clears throat> might shut them or having shut his eyes might open them, so too concerning anything at all, the agreeable that arose, the disagreeable that arose, and the both agreeable and disagreeable that arose ceases just as quickly, just as rapidly, just as easily, and equanimity is established. This is called... In the noble one's discipline, the supreme development of the sense faculties regarding forms cognizable by the eye. So this gets repeated for each of the senses. And so we are asked to abide in equanimity Mindfully aware of what's presenting itself, and how are we going to be able to do this more and more efficiently? The meditation is what is our training ground. So, first we give it a try in the meditation, you know, to establish mindfulness. And as we're able to establish mindfulness in the meditation, then we can bring it to our daily lives. And so, the Buddha encourages us, there are these roots of trees, these empty huts. Meditate, do not delay, or else you will regret it later. This is our instruction to you. Let's close our eyes for a moment. And just letting all this input that we've had through words, sound, ideas and meaning Take a moment to ask yourself, is there a doubt, is there a comment, anything that needs to be expressed for this to feel complete? A doubt, a, a comment. Very good. So, then let's just close our eyes again to conclude and may whatever teachings you heard today, be of benefit to you and to everyone that you come in contact with. And whatever is not, was not useful, you can just leave it behind. Thank you very much.